Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. We're going to be covering two chapters in the book of Genesis today, so we better get started. Here to walk us through it is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 44. It's almost a shame to have to deal with this story in chapter-sized chunks because the tension is building and growing. And here, right at the end of chapter 44, it nearly reaches its climax, but you have to wait for chapter 45 to see the dramatic denouement that all of this has been building towards. This is the culmination of a carefully crafted crisis. This is the moment when we see just how well The Lord has done his work. We pick up the story at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. This is Joseph's final test, and one suspects that he has been preparing this test for a very long time indeed. He tells his steward to put a very particular cup, my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. Now, this is where, unfortunately, a little bit of the poetic power of this story is lost in our English translations. The Hebrew word kasef means silver and money, and sadly, most English translations just alternate between the two. So, for example, in this verse, the word is translated as money twice and as silver once, but it's the same Hebrew word all three times. Now, here's the thing. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, 20 pieces of kasef, back in chapter 37, verse 28. And over the course of the Joseph narrative, the word kasef is used exactly 20 times. It is like a counter or a metronome in the story, beating and chiming its way towards justice, recompense, and closure. These are the last tinkling, jingling references to silver in the story. The 20th reference comes in verse 8. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die? That is the 20th and climactic reference to Kasef in this story. And that is something that you miss when you read the story in English. Hebrew storytelling has all sorts of wonderful mnemonic devices that work perfectly in an oral culture. Remember, these stories were heard far more often than they were read. One person would read it. Everyone else would hear it. These little techniques helped people remember and track important themes and plot lines in the story. Verse 3 says, As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. 
They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you have overtaken them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Joseph actually did practice divination. Deuteronomy 18.10 forbids the practice, though it was widespread in Egypt. But Joseph is playing a role here, and he is trying to maximize the discomfort of the brothers because he is testing them. He wants to see if they will crack. He wants to see if they will abandon Benjamin as they abandon him. That's what this is about. Verse 6 says, When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Notice that the servant gives them the option of turning over Benjamin and going free. They say, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servant. The steward says, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you will be innocent. The steward gives them a chance to walk away. He encourages them almost to throw Benjamin under the bus as they once threw Joseph down the well. But they didn't do it. The text says they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. These are changed men. And the story is telling us how they became changed men. Look at the words. They tore their clothes. Where have we seen that before? All the way back in Genesis chapter 37, when they used a robe dripped in goat's blood to trick their father Jacob. The text says this, And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments. Do you remember that? God makes them feel what they made their father feel. God sometimes heals us by feeding us our own medicine. God sometimes pays us back in our own coin, not to kill us, not if we are his children, to heal us, to change us, to save us. God is testing them here to 
see if they are now more like their father Jacob or still like their old, violent, callous, brutal younger selves. And they pass the test. They are new men. And they prove it by not abandoning their younger brother. Listen to what Derek Kidner says here. He says, When the steward converted their challenge of verse 9 into a chance of freedom at Benjamin's expense, all the conditions were present for another betrayal at a far more compelling price, their liberty, than the 20 pieces of silver they had once shared out. The response, by its unanimity, frankness, and constancy, for the offer was repeated, showed how well the chastening had done its work. Do you see that? God chastens and God tests. He does not take us at our word. It is an easy thing to say that you are saved. It's an easy thing to say that you are a changed person, but God tests. God likes to see as well as hear. We ought to know this, having read this far in Genesis. We saw that all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, the opening verse of which reads, After these things God tested Abraham. God works on us. And then God tests us to see the extent to which we are changed. Some trials are pure chastening. They are rubbing and scouring the sin and arrogance and brutality out of us. And some trials are tests. They are an opportunity for us to display the work of God in us. So it is here. These men are changed. And they are showing that change to Joseph, to God, and to us. We see more of that change in verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. Notice that the Bible is putting the spotlight now on Judah. Why, why, why doesn't it say, for example, when Reuben and his brothers came to Joseph? Because Judah has put himself out now as surety for the safe return of Benjamin. And because Judah is the brother, the line through whom the most spectacular promises of God will come to pass. Note that. The more God plans to use you, the more God will work to refine you. Note that very well. The text goes on to say, They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, you go in peace to your father. Joseph extends the same escape route to the brothers as had the servant. You can leave the boy here. You can return to your homes, to your wives, and to your little ones. Only one of you need be sacrificed. 
20 years ago, they would have taken that deal in a heartbeat. 20 years ago, it was Judah's idea to sell their brother for money. But verse 18 says, Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes With us, then, we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Praise the Lord. God has done a work in these men, and they are not the same. They have been changed and chastened and purified and prepared through these various trials and tribulations. They are completely different people. They have been healed by the touch and attention of God. The Lord changes those he chooses. Thanks be to God. Chapter 44 was a relatively short chapter, so we're going to transition right into chapter 45 today. Pastor Paul will hand it right back over to you. We pick up the story at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph would not have wanted the Egyptians to know that his brothers had sold him into slavery. So he ensured that this climactic disclosure would occur in total privacy. Verse 2 says, And he wept aloud. 
so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. The brothers at this point could not know what Joseph had in mind. Had all of this been a ruse to entrap them and to allow him to throw them into prison as they had done to him? Verse 4, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry! And go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, His brothers talked with him. And this, of course, is the climax of the story. This is the moment when everything becomes clear. God has sent me here to preserve life, Joseph says. That's what this has been all about. God has been working, saving purposes through all of this darkness and deceit and greed and malice and injustice and delay. God has been in this, saving you and saving me and saving us. Derek Kidner says here, the words, you sold me, God sent me, are one of the classic statements of providential control. This biblical realism to see clearly the two aspects of every event. On the one hand, human mishandling and the blind working of nature. On the other, the perfect will of God and to fix attention on the latter as alone being of any consequence was to be supremely exemplified in Gethsemane where Jesus accepted his betrayal as the cup which the Father has given me. Closed quote. Joseph sees here a double causality. Yes, the brothers acted responsibly. They, they weren't puppets, and God was definitely not making them do evil things. They did those things out of the malice and jealousy and immaturity of their own hearts. But God was superintending events such that their evil decisions ultimately were used to save and sanctify a people for himself. This is one of the most marvelous doctrines 
in all of Holy Scripture. Joseph states it again, even more succinctly in chapter 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is the doctrine that we sometimes call compatibilism. The idea that there is no contradiction between the idea that human beings act responsibly, they make real choices and decisions, and yet God is ordaining and directing such that his sovereign saving will is perfectly accomplished throughout. You see that over and over and over again in the Bible, but nowhere illustrated more dramatically than right here in the story of Joseph. Verse 16 goes on to say, When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father, and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Here we see Joseph's plan amplified, augmented, and authorized by Pharaoh himself. This will serve to make Joseph's people more than immigrants, but almost wards of the state or guests of the king. God could not have arranged things any better. Verse 21 goes on to say, The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Now, Joseph isn't just being paternal here. The JPS Torah commentary understands the text to mean, Do not engage in mutual recrimination. Joseph understands that in order to explain all of this to their father, they are going to have to confess to their crimes and deceptions. This, of course, is going to create anxiety in them, and it may lead to a fair bit of finger-pointing and blame-shifting. And Joseph tells them not to engage in any of that. that. It's all water under the bridge. They are new men. The past is gone. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed that incident from them, we might say, in New Testament terms, although that is an Old Testament quote. Don't fight over the past. The past is gone. God has made you new men. Thanks be to God. Verse 25 says, So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. (laughs) And thus, in a sense, one part of the story ends. And one part of the story begins. Verse 26. 
This is the end of the Joseph drama, for all intents and purposes. And it is the beginning of another drama, a drama foretold in days of old, a promise made by God to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 15. God said, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God will save the people of Israel by hiding them away in Egypt. He will feed them, protect them, multiply them, and afflict them. And then in a time of his choosing, he will redeem them. He will bring them up and he will lead them home. God knows how to save and sanctify his people. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Thanks be to God. Yeah, I love that line and that quote from Job 36. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? That is absolute gold. And that is the impact on the reader as we come to the end of this story. God has been at work in this family. He's been saving them not just from the famine, but from their sins. I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. Yeah, that's one of those layers that reveals itself to the reader on the third or fourth time through the story. The first time through, you just see how God used Joseph to save the people of Israel from the famine. But then as you keep reading the story, you start to see, wait a second, God isn't just saving them from this natural disaster. He's saving them from themselves. He's saving their souls. And you really see that as you focus on the character development for people like Reuben and Judah, men who were previously portrayed as deeply sinful and fallen, but by the end of the story look very much like people of faith. This story is pressing home the wonderful truth that the Lord knows how to save and sanctify his people. Thanks be to God. Amen. And I know we're going to hear more about that in the weeks and episodes still to come. As always, friends, if you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. See you then. Your is a lamp unto my feet.